This message is brought to you by ABC Church in Ammonford, West Wales. For more information, please visit our website at www.abclife.org. Good morning, everybody. I'm continuing my talk today uh, in our series, What's the Meaning of Life? Big question to ask, isn't it? And uh, probably on today, uh, on this day, on Remembrance Day, uh, here on the 8th of November 2015, there's probably no better time for us to be asking that question when so many have given their lives for us that we ask the question, what really is the meaning of life? On the way down in the car this morning, I've been pursuing a thought in my mind on the word dignity. We all say that we would like to die, don't we, with dignity, don't we? How many of us would like to, when that day comes, that uh, we don't, and I don't want to be morbid this morning, but these are the facts of life, aren't they? That we don't want to, you know, I wouldn't want to pass away in a car accident, would you? In a plane crash, our hearts bleed for these Russians and that uh, their families have all been terribly lost in this uh, flight that we heard this week and it seems like another act of terrorism um, there on our world again terrible isn't it and I don't know if you like me but you know I would love to I was in a funeral uh, on Saturday morning and the words were there died peacefully in her sleep about a lady called Laura a mother of a neighbor of mine that passed away at the grand age of 92 I would love that, would you? Like about 102, that's what I'd like, so I could still be around to see maybe some great-grandchildren that I have. I would like to have everything that there is about me, about me. I don't want to lose my mind any more than I already have. And I would love to be able to have dignity in death. I'm not sure it's possible. Because when I look at so many people that I see or hear their stories that have passed away, there is very little dignity in death. But I'll tell you one thing. We can have dignity in life. We can make the things that are around us count for today. We can live life as we remember today um, so many that have given their lives for the freedom of our nation. So many that are protecting our borders and protecting our nation even today. As they do so, we can turn to them with dignity and say thank you. And that's what today has been about, hasn't it? About us as a nation taking the time to pause and to reflect and to thank those. But I want to ask a further question this morning as we continue our series and say, as we're discussing this subject, what's the meaning of life? What does life mean for you? Because we have not chosen, clearly, many of us here have not chosen a life of service defending our nation. We're not in the services. But many of us make a meaningful commitment and make a a meaningful contribution to our society every single day in what we do. But I want to ask a deeper question, one that's, uh, that Paul asks as well in Romans chapter 12 that we're going to turn to in a moment, asks a deeper question about why on earth are we here? Not just our working life, but our family life, our personal life, our spiritual life. What are we doing and are we living it to the glory of God? 
And secondly, and the whole thrust of this message, if you've not listened to part one, you can download it on a podcast, but we're trying to answer this question, what's the meaning of life? There are people like Monty Python that have tried to answer the question. But I believe in God's word, we can discover the revelation of God for us and answer the questions in terms of what the meaning of life is. You see, to answer that question, we have to have faith. We have to have a belief system. And so you might be saying to me right here now, as maybe you listen or as you're sat here today, you might be saying, well, I don't have a belief system. I don't have faith in God at all. I'm an atheist. Well, you might not have faith in God, but you do have faith in the particular belief system that you've chosen. You have faith maybe in the theory of evolution. After all, it is a theory. It's not the fact of evolution. And equally, there is the theory, or what I believe to be the fact, of creation. But I do so in faith, trusting in God's word, that it is his manual for my life and for yours, that we can discover the very nature of God for ourselves and his plan for our lives. So it takes faith to believe. Because the only way we could answer the the true uh, meaning of life to go back and find out about the Big Bang or uh, evolution or natural selection or uh, the truth about Jesus Christ and lots of the stories in the Bible about Moses parting the Red Sea, Noah and the Ark. The only way we could answer those questions if we lived in that time ourselves, isn't it? To be able to see it with our own eyes. To be able to see the Red Sea split so they could walk right through it. To be able to see Joshua petitioning God to stop the sun so he could win the battle before nightfall. To see uh, Noah building the ark and waiting for the flood. They could well be fables if you want to believe it. But I believe in the word of God that it is the manual for our lives because I have chosen to live a life of faith myself. And the particular faith that I have chosen is the Christian faith. I do believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, the very Son of God that was born of a virgin and sent to earth to live amongst us, to die for our sins, and now is seated on the right hand of God, interceding on my behalf and yours. So, this message, what's the meaning of life, is the Bible's answer to the meaning of life for us. So as we discussed in part one, the first part of uh, uh, understanding God's nature and the plan of God's nature for us is that we come under his banner of love and understand that love is the root of everything in the human life. Uh, Andrea has been speaking to us about such... uh, neurological things as secure attachments and giving us lessons in psychology but we know as we learn more about ourselves and our humanity that love is a fundamental part of how we are framed and how we are fueled to pursue things in life and so if you want to log online and listen to uh, a lot of what uh, Andrea has been teaching us in the last couple of weeks I'd encourage you to do so. So turn with me to Romans chapter 12 this morning. And I'm reading again from the Amplified Version to this text that Paul speaks to the church in Rome. And he says this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, 
by the mercies of God to present your bodies. That means to dedicate all of yourselves and to set yourselves apart as a living sacrifice. Holy and well-pleasing to God, which is your rational, logical and intelligent act of worship. And do not be conformed to this world any longer with its superficial values and customs. But be transformed and progressively changed as you mature spiritually by the renewing of your mind. Focusing on godly values and ethical attitudes. So that you may prove for yourselves what the will of God is. That which is good and acceptable and perfect in his plan and purpose for you. I'll read it again. That you may prove for yourselves what the will of God is for you. That which is good and acceptable and perfect in his plan and purpose for you. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank, we, we thank you that we live in an educated country that we can read, we can write, and we can learn. Thank you for those that have fought for the freedom of our nation to be able to uphold such things today. Lord, that we now can read and can use our minds and can understand the very revelation of God to ourselves today. So Lord, help us understand your will for us. Challenge our minds. Open our hearts. Nourish our souls today, O oh God. That we might be transformed and have a renewed mind as you command. To be able to not think in worldly ways. But to be able to think with our new spiritual mind. That comes from the very heart of God by the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So we pray Lord open our hearts to understand. And let he that has years to hear. Let him hear today we ask in Jesus name. Amen. We need to, number one, be under God's love. That's what we talked about last um, time we were discussing this subject together. That we are under God's love. And if you remember, Paul starts with this text and says, I beseech you. He says, I beg you in view of God's mercy, in view of God's love for us, that you. And he goes on to give us some of the qualifications that we're going to look at this morning. And if we want to know what that love is like, do you remember we talked the principle of speed bumps? These little scriptures that we come, or these little words that we come across in the Bible as we read, where God is trying to slow us down and trying to get us to read some things together and understand better. And this is one of those speed bumps. He says, in view of God's mercy. So what's he saying? In view of what? Well, in view of the 11 chapters that come before where Paul lays down everything that there is about the love of God for us to understand. And so he says to um, the church in Rome, does Paul, he says, in view of God's mercy, in view of his love, and living in his love, let us go on and do other things. 
So, our second point, what do we need to do? Once we are in his love, and I encourage those of you here, believers or unbelievers, the first way to, the first step in discovering God's purpose and his plan for you, if you want to answer what the meaning of life is for you, stage number one, come under his love. Accept Jesus Christ. Come into faith in Christ and all manner of things will begin to open up in your life so that you can understand clearly his plan and purpose for you. What does he say? He says, present your bodies. So the second point is surrender. Surrender. So once we come under his love, what do we need to do? We need to surrender. The great theologian Woody Allen says this, 80% of life is just showing up. 80% of life is just showing up. So we need to show up and we need to present our bodies together to him. That is the way we come under God's love, is that we surrender. And we say, in view of God's mercy, we present ourselves, we surrender our lives to Him. When it comes to surrendering, we're not talking here now about this initial surrender, in uh, a particular surrender that we say when we come to Christ, that's part of it. But it's a continual surrender, that we come and we give in more and more of ourselves to God. Some examples from my life. I remember when I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ, first of all, when I was around five or six years of age. Some of you know this, but I heard the remarkable story of Zacchaeus from the Bible at Sunday school. And I discovered that God loved short people. Now, I know you can laugh about that, but for me as a six-year-old boy that was uh, probably below average height then more than I am now, I discovered that God loved Zacchaeus. And he gave him an invite and said, I'm coming to your house for tea. And in the heart and imagination of a young six-year-old boy, God captured my soul, captured my heart. And there, I can remember it, my mother had the privilege of talking to me at that time. I was sat on my mother's knee when she had the privilege of leading me to the Lord. And that's when I think I came to the fundamental belief in Christ myself. But then later on, I think I went and I got involved in other things, particularly in my college years where I began to question a lot of things in life and experience other things. And I'll never forget, those of you know this, and I think mum knows this story by now, and it's a a confession that she's well aware of, but I can remember being in Ritzy's nightclub in Swansea. There was me, Adam, and Dave, and uh, we were enjoying the elixir of life, if I can call it that. And I can remember I had probably too much of the elixir. And so I can remember myself there around 1 a.m. in the morning, there at Ritzy's nightclub. And any of you remember Ritzy's? Showing you the age now. And I can remember this big, long bar that was in Ritzy's club. And I can remember me being on one end of the bar, looking down the other end. And there was another girl that was the other end of the bar, and she was looking at me, and I was looking at her. And she had way, way too much to drink. And she was kind of leaning on the bar in order for it to hold her up. But as I looked across at her and I looked into her eyes, all I saw was emptiness. All I saw was emptiness. And as I was looking at her and she was looking at me, 
all I had was this conviction. I didn't hear the audible voice of God, but I hear, had this thought, which is, when she looks at you, that's what she sees too. Emptiness. And I got home that night, and I went, I'm staying overnight in Swansea that night, and I stayed home, and I got on my knees, on the side of the bed in a little house I could take you then, Black Pill, where I surrendered another slice of my life to him. And I said, God, I'm going to serve you. I remember another occasion in around 1991, 1992. Mike shared it with you in passing last week. And I'm going to give you the more detailed version now. And I'll try not to get emotional as I share this story with you. But it was the day that Michael and myself surrendered our business to God. We had gone and we had bought from uh, the receiver a company that had gone into liquidation called The Office Shop. And uh, we had bought all their remaining stock. And then shortly after that, it was around 1991. Uh, yes, it was 1991, actually, because that's when interest rates soared to 14.5%. Remember that? Norman Lamont and the great grand idea of the exchange rate mechanism. Any of you remember that? And uh, those of you who were savers at the time thought it was fantastic because uh, your interest rates went spiraling. If you were like Mike and me at the time, and we had nearly £30,000 worth of debt, which is, you know, just do that in real terms now. That was a lot of money. There was a lot of interest we were paying, and we began to worry. And we'd had two months of um, poor sales. And uh, those of you who know the story about Mike and myself, we started the business on a a, bed, a farm in the bedroom, and we converted Mike's bedroom into an office. And so uh, Mike and me were uh, in sharing the same bedroom. And it was around 1, 2 o'clock in the morning. And the whole stress of this debt and the poor sales was really beginning to get to me. And at 1, 2 o'clock in the morning, I began to cry like a baby, as only maybe Emily and others know that I can when I watch crazy films like Lada 49 or whatever it is. Sometimes I get overcome with emotion uh, as the person that I am. And I was in one of those moments and I began to cry. Crying so much that I woke Mike who was sleeping next to me. And so Mike said, what's, what's wrong? And I said, nothing. <laughs> he says, oh, no, what's wrong? And I said, nothing, Mike. And I said those infamous words that those of us who are married have probably heard from our wives, which is, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> so I'm just losing it there as I'm trying to contain my emotions with this burden of all the debt. And so Mike did what uh, he knew best to do, which was to turn the light on, go down the corridor and get Dad who was in bed woke dad up and says can you come and see Philip dad he's crying his heart out like a big girl so dad came into the room and sat down with me and Mike there and then and uh, I am still crying he says you still on Phil sit up missing board I said uh, nothing he, and uh, it said Steve Eden board and dad says to me which, which is what's wrong and so this conversation goes, and Dad does his usual uh, stubborn things that my dad used to do. He says, well, it's going to be a very long night because I'm not leaving until you tell me what's wrong. And so I began to unpack to him all that I was going through. I says, the debt, we're going to lose the business, what's going to happen, this, that, and the other. <laughs> I'll never, never forget the moment. My father started laughing. 
he just sat on, I could see him now. I could see him sat on Michael's bed and he could, he started, <laughs> oh, he started laughing. And I'm getting really annoyed. So I'm saying, what are you laughing about, Dad? And he says, haven't you learned that yet? And I said, learned what? doesn't matter about the money, does it? If you lose the business, you lose the business. What matters is loving God, having our family. He says, tell you what, let's pray right now because our problems are God's problems, aren't they? And so we prayed and we handed the burden to him and taught me a lesson in life. And there and then, as Mike and I and my father prayed, we gave the business to the Lord. We said, Lord, this is your business. You know, you prosper it as you see fit. You called us to serve in business. And we believe that as you prosper us, we can give and we can provide work and opportunity for other people. This is your business. If it's your will for it to go, let it go. If it's your will to prosper us, let it prosper. Amen. And that was it. Well, I tell you what, the burden lifted I slept comfortably into my bed that night and I have never looked back. And I tell you what, for you in life, can I give you dad's lesson? And can I laugh at you and say, <laughs> have you maybe not learned that lesson yet? Who can add a day or an hour to his life through worry? Isn't that what the Bible says? See the sparrows. Isn't it? How they don't store up, they know that their Father in heaven provides. But for some reason we get stressed and we get all of this stuff around us. Give what you have to him. And I tell you what, we faced so many, Mike and I, you know, we've had it in mind maybe to write a book one day of actually giving you time and time and occasion of when we've given this and that to God. His, my problems are his problems. And just give them to him. So that was a time in 1999 when I surrendered the business. Mike and I, we gave that to God. Can I ask, are there things that you need to surrender? In his love and compassion for you, are there things that we need to surrender to him? Because I tell you what, the secret of a God-honoring life is the secret of understanding stewardship. Understanding that my wife is, my dad used to say this, would he call him Benthigin Gilidini? We've been loaned to one another. And I've been fortunate with Ruth to be married 24 and a half years now. She's been, I, I've, she's been loaned to me, hasn't she? My children, I'm blessed to have three wonderful girls, they've been loaned to me. And I need to steward them. The home that I live in, the clothes that I wear, everything that I have has been given to me. All good things around us are sent from heaven above. Then thank the Lord for all he's done. Can I say on Remembrance Day here in 2015, our democratic nation is a gift from God to us as believers, isn't it? 
the freedom that we have. Thank God that we're not in Syria or North Korea or Somalia or these countries. It drives me nuts when people complain about our nation. Yes, we want to see some things change. Yes, things could be better. But let's not lose sight of the fact that we should be content with the peace and the democratic process and the general standard of living that we have in this country more than anyone else. So if you're going to start mourning, I tell you what, I'm going to have a problem with you. Go and live in Syria for a while. But we need to realize for ourselves too that all of what we have we need to steward and we need to surrender to him. Present your bodies, he says, as a living sacrifice. Show up. We surrender by coming to church today, don't we, Mark? That we make the commitment to say, I'm going to go to church this morning. It's a non-option. That we say, it's Sunday morning, so I go to church. It's Wednesday, first Wednesday of the month. So we are in prayer meeting. And if you weren't in prayer meeting on Wednesday, you missed a blast. We even had Louis Giglio speaking to us. World-class speaker speaking here to us. Yeah, by video link. But speaking to us here, a remarkable story. A remarkable message. What was that message about, church? A message again on surrender, wasn't it? That we come and have the intentionality of bowing the knee. Are we living up to Mark's promise to bow the knee more often? Are you doing that daily? To actually physically come and bow the knee as we were challenged on Wednesday. To surrender another portion of ourselves to him. You've heard the saying, haven't you, about uh, one golfer that said, when the pastor asked him, about why he wasn't in church on Sunday. And he said this. Well, the thing is, Pastor, he said, I'd rather be on the golf course thinking about God than I want to be sat in the church thinking about golf. (laughs) Now, I get the principle, but there are certain things that we need to surrender. And maybe that man needed to surrender his golf. And to, yes, enjoy what what he's doing. But to say, Lord, I'm giving it to you. Because there is a million and one reasons why we don't get on our knees and pray. There's a million and one reasons why we don't turn to the scripture and read. There's a million and one reasons why we can't be in church. There's a million and one reasons. In fact, we are fantastic as human beings at making excuses, as we all know. I remember years back, when, once again, it was that Sunday morning we had to go to church. Bang, bang, went the fist on the bedroom door. Are you up yet? We're going to church, said the voice. A couple of minutes had passed, and later again, bang, bang, bang. Are you up? Are you dressed? Are you washed? We're going to church. And I shouted back from my bed, for goodness sake, give me three good reasons why we should go to church. And the voice came back. From the other side of the door. Number one. All Bible believing Christians go to church once a week. They don't neglect the assembling of themselves together. Number two. We've always gone to church as a family. We're going to do it again today together. And we're not going to change for you. And number three said my wife. You're the pastor for goodness sake. And you should be there. We all like to rest don't we? We all like to be involved in so many different things. But we need to surrender. We need to commit. 
My good friend, uh, Robert Boynes, has just completed an Iron Man Cymru. I don't know if you saw it on Facebook uh, when I went down to see him in Tenby. What a feat. Incredible. An Iron Man, you know, to take it on. I mean, there's some people that take on a half marathon or a marathon, but the Iron Man, you must be insane to take it on. A 2.4 mile swim. So that's what you do first. Into the ocean. 2.4 mile swim. A 112 mile cycle ride when you come out the other side. Can you get 112? I tell you what, I couldn't swim the 0.4 miles, let alone the 2.4 miles. And then a 26.2 mile marathon to finish off before nightfall. Nuts, aren't they? Nuts. And this is a guy that runs a successful business in North Wales, and it's just incredible. I don't know how you fit it in. And that's what I said to him. I says, Rob, I don't know how you fit it in. And do you know what he told me? He says, Phil, that's what determined people do. You fill your time with whatever you want to fill your time with. He says, and it never ceases to amaze me that all the people that do the Iron Man, he says, all of them have got jobs. I never meet an unemployed Iron Man. He says, all of them have got busy schedules. All of them have got family and responsibilities. Most of them are entrepreneurs that have businesses and have huge responsibility to do. Yet for some crazy reason, they still find the time to fit in the training to go and do an Ironman. And I said, wow, that's remarkable. And he says, yes, Phil, but I can't describe to you what it is like when you cross that finishing line. I can't describe what it is when you're going around and people are encouraging you as you're, as you're taking on the race and the walk. He says, there's people by the side of the roads there encourage you, say, come on, come on, you're nearly there, you're nearly there. <laughs> this thing takes like 13 hours, you know, to go and do. And then he says, you go through the finish line, he says, and that sense of, I've done it. Is that kind of what Paul is talking about? Where he says that we set our eyes and we finish the race and we set aside all things that can distract us. Set aside the things that would get in the way and we say that we're going to run the race for him. Endure and win the prize. So just like maybe the Iron Man, we need to surrender bits of our lives. Is there a friendship you need to surrender that's toxic? Are there behaviours that you need to surrender that you know are not bad, uh, that, that you know are bad for you? Are there certain locations and places that you visit that don't bring out the best in you? Are you in a job that is not good for you? Maybe the money's good, but you know you should be somewhere else because it's not what God has laid on your heart for you to do. Do we need to surrender? Yes, we need to surrender and we need to say no to some things and we need to say yes to all the things that God has for us. And then finally, we talk about saying no. Jesus says to the disciples, follow me. It's amazing, isn't it? He says, follow me. We're in his love. It's awesome. Follow me, he says. But then we notice in the scripture later on where he says all of this, he follow me, he says. He sits them down one day and he gives them the harsh reality of the truth of what following Jesus is about. He says, guys, 
I'm going to be killed and I'm going to be persecuted. And the bad news is you're going to be killed and you're going to be persecuted too. Your kids, parents are going to hate you. If you surrender and you give this across to me, all of this bad, messy stuff is going to be happening to you. But I give you a promise, it's all going to be good in the end. And I give you that same promise today, is that as you come and surrender, it will have consequences maybe upon you and your life. But I tell you what, I give you this promise that's from the very word of God, that things will be good in the end. So, saying no, our text tells us after we say yes, we're in his love, first of all. We're basking in the love of God. We've accepted it and know that he has a plan for, for us. We have a secure attachment in him. We know that it's in him we live, move, have our being. And so we've got this love of God in our lives. We've surrendered everything and we've given this. We said yes to God. Yes, I'm going to be at church. Yes, I'm going to bow the knee to you in prayer. Yes, I'm going to read your word. Yes, I'm going to use my gifts. He says yes, yes, yes through the process of, of surrender. And then he comes and he says, right, now you've got to say no to stuff. And that's what we need to do in our lives. There's a sequence there of being in God's love, surrendering and saying yes to him, but then saying no to all of this other stuff. He says this, Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve God's will is. What is this saying no then? I tell you what, it's a strange thing that happens, is that we all learn to say no very, very early in life. Have you noticed? We notice that. Some of you here that have got babies or little children. We don't have to teach them the word no. They learn it all by themselves. Have you noticed? So, you know, they grow up and they're, yeah, yeah, you good, you good. Lovely. And then they get up and everything. And then they soon know how to say no to the milk bottle, don't they? They push that out when they don't want to feed. Or they know how to uh, say no to the food, don't they? Do you remember mom used to do it with me when I was little in the high chair? My car and ord, the car is coming. Car and ord, the food on the on the spoon. The car is coming. Car and ord, I got a garage. Open the garage. Here comes the car. I tell you what, I crashed a few cars. I can tell you. I just shut my mouth because she ain't getting those broccoli and cabbage into my mouth. We learn to say no even before with the word is on our lips, don't we? That we cry and we do all this thing. It's a good thing. It's a great thing that you can say no. Have you heard that phrase that they do sometimes? You need to break that child's will. You hear that parenting? Oh, I tell you what, don't break that child's will. We should be encouraging and disciplining and directing that will, not break it direct it in the right way because it's that will that will stop them from jumping out in front of cars it's that will that will help them understand that they can control their alcohol intake it's that will that will allow them to say no to friends that are toxic in their life so we don't want to break their will at all all we want to do is direct their will discipline the will in the correct way how many of you have had teachers 
and uh, you know the difference between a great teacher and a poor teacher and it's amazing isn't it we can all name them right now I could ask you who was a great teacher the great teacher you had in your life I can guarantee you was one that directed your will and your motivations and they were firm they were firm on you weren't they but they were also fair and they were good kind of second or third type parents or influences in your life so we need to say no and so that's what God is teaching us to do is to say no we need to understand that if we just like children we feed and water them they learn to say no and we said before they, they grow up they turn into terrorists don't they that's basically that's what happens they turn into terrorists and but all we're trying to do is to direct them in their lives and to have them to say yes to god yes to the right things you know that phrase um, that is often said and i've said it too about my father i discovered that as my father got older he got so much wiser do you notice that when in reality that didn't happen at all as he got older I got older too and I realized he was right after all and I found myself here at 46 years of age turning into my father using my father's phrases this is not a hotel money doesn't grow on trees am I dumb am I an idiot all of these phrases that my father used that I vowed I would never use with my children I still use them why because I want them to say no to the right things and say yes to the right things and in the same way our loving father in heaven disciplines us and he says Mark, Andrea, Caris, Dan, Emily, John, Pat, Tom all of us here today he says I want you to learn to say yes to the right things and say no and that's the transformative thinking that needs to take place that we come under God and when he prods us and when he convicts us that instead of fighting it we yield and we surrender we say yes I know you're right and I need to deal with that so do you need to say no to a few things come on let's pray in closing Father God we thank you for your love for us we thank you that you care for us and so as we discover in our lives at the various stages of all that we are and the, the demographic of all the people in the room here, from the youngest to the oldest, Lord, we all want to discover what is the meaning of life for us. We all want to discover your good and perfect plan for us. So help us today, Lord, afresh, as we bathe in your love, and as we surrender our lives to you and say yes to the things that you have us say yes to. And as we say no to all the stuff in our lives that we need to get rid of. That that transformational thinking would not just transform our mind. But in so doing it would transform our lives. And transform our families. And transform our marriages. And transform our church. And transform our town and our county and our very nation as we all yield to you Lord help us to surrender to you help us to give our lives to you afresh today we ask in Jesus name Amen This message was brought to you by ABC Church for more information please visit our website at www.abclife.org or search for us on Facebook or Twitter 
You can also contact us by phone on 01269 59 6000.